The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. For those of you that don't know me or that um, I don't know, my name is Janie. I'm one of the people on staff here. And you can see my name tag says Janie. We um, like to give out name tags at the end because we want to know your name. Knowing one another's names is important. Um, and really, that's how we get to feel known, right? When, when someone knows our name and knows who we are, that's when we feel known in the circum- certain circumstances. Personally, I've had some issues with my name because my name is Janie. And that's Janie with an N, not an M. I've only met a couple of people throughout my life that had my name. So um, a much more popular name, as you probably know, is the name Janie with an M. So when people, what I would tell people what my name was or they would read it, nine times out of ten they would say, oh, Jamie. And I'd have to be like, no, it's Janie. And I... You know, develop some methods. Janie, point to my niece, who will remember it. Dexter does the same thing because his last name is Carney, so he always parts, um, points to his knee. Um, and that kind of helped a little bit for people to remember my name. When I lived in Tennessee a little while ago, um, I remember there were more than one occasion I got to know people, and I would, you know, introduce myself, and I'd say, my name is Janie. And they would say, oh, Jeannie. No, actually, my name is Janie. Yeah, that's what I said, Janie. And I realized over time that I actually had to introduce myself as Janie. Oh, Janie. Oh. <laughs> now they understood what it was. I had to throw the drawl in there, and that makes my, na- my name sound much more sweet. Janie. If you want someone to say your name with a sweet pronunciation, then ask Amber, our intern from Tennessee, because I'm sure she will say it. With a very thick draw. Well, we are doing a short three-week series on this idea of names and places in scripture where people's names are changed and how faith journeys are actually changed as a result of this name change. Last week, Ryan started us off by talking about Abraham, and he's this person, one of the first people in the Old Testament. There's a story, stories about him, and his name originally is Abram, and then he... Um, has this covenant with God, and in this covenant he has with God, God's going to bless him so that he can be a blessing to the whole world. And God changes his name to Abraham. Now, not only does this change his life, but it also changes his faith. He stops relying as much on himself, and he starts to put his trust that God will follow through with these blessings. This covenant that he has with Abraham is actually going... um, that God will follow through. Yahweh, the God, the, a name for God in the Old Testament, that God will be true to those promises. Now, this idea of changing a name, actually changing us, I think this is something that permeates all times and all cultures. Um, it seems like a small thing, but really changing a name can change someone's identity. Now, one of my favorite TV shows is Mad Men. Does anybody watch any Mad Men fans out there? All right. Woohoo, Mad Men. Um, so this is Mad Men. And this show is about a man who changes his name to Don Draper. 
And when he changes his name to Don Draper, it changes everything about him. It changes his identity, his persona, his attitude. I mean, he's a completely different person. Now, if you're not familiar with Mad Men, someone that you might be more familiar with is Beyonce. You guys all know Beyonce, right? Well, Beyonce says that when she's on stage, she is no longer Beyonce. She actually has a new name and a new identity, and it's Sasha Fierce. And she's a totally different, totally different persona, totally different attitude. Now, as Beyonce, she is reserved and conservative and quiet. And as Sasha Fierce, she's not those things. <laughs> so taking on a new name can change our identity in some way. But there's also a distinction between giving yourself a new name and having someone else actually give you a name. And the person that we're going to look at from Scripture tonight is a well-known name change, and that's Peter, the disciple, whose name is changed from Simon. Um, his name is changed from Simon to Peter. And there isn't a huge deal made about this name change in Scripture. You kind of think, like, I think in my head, visions of, like, a, knight, a knighting ceremony or something, where Peter would come before Jesus and kneel. Jesus would anoint, anoint him with oil and say, your name is now Peter, and lights would shine down from heaven. But I looked all through the Gospels, and that's not what it's like at all. Actually, it's, it's kind of like under the radar. Um, there's parentheses that say um, Peter, formerly Simon, or it says Simon Peter, like he has a hyphenated name or something. So there isn't a big deal made about it. Now, if you aren't familiar with this story, when Jesus was starting his ministry, he went out and he gathered a bunch of guys together that became his disciples, and um, they followed him. And um, there's a, the most elaborate description of Simon becoming Peter is in John chapter 1. Um, we'll read it. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. I mean, I love that it's just a throwaway line. You are Simon, now you're Peter. Um, and the, the vision that we have of all of these disciples following Jesus is that they're, they're fishermen. Many of them are fishermen. Peter is one of those. And the vision we get in scripture is he's out fishing, right? He's pulling in some nets. Jesus comes up and he says, come, follow me. And I imagine that Peter's like mid-pole. And he's like, all right, drops the nets, starts following Jesus. That's, a, that's the image that we get. That's what I have of Peter in my head. Now, even though this is a low-key name change on the DL, it is a major change in Peter's life. When he's Simon, he's uneducated. He's an ordinary guy. He, um, skilled fisherman. He's great at what he does. But he meets this man, Jesus. Jesus, this carpenter. And he begins a friendship with, with him. And his life radically changes. So what happens when Peter starts following Jesus? He leaves fishing behind. Uh, he's known as first among the disciples. He's by far the most quoted and talked about of all the disciples in the Gospels. He's the first to say out loud to Jesus, you are the Messiah. He watches Jesus heal the sick, raise the dead, fill nets so full of fish that nobody can move them. Jesus walks on water. He allows Peter to walk on water. Feed, Jesus feeds thousands, challenges the religious leadership of the day. 
draws great crowds to him. Jesus takes Peter with him up on a mountain to see Moses and Elijah. I mean, this is pretty huge difference from fishing every day on the Sea of Galilee, right? I mean, this is, this is huge. And, and Jesus held Peter in high regard. This is what he says in Matthew chapter 16, starting at verse um, 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? He's referring to himself, the Son of Man. They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of death will not overcome it. And this is what Peter does. The first half of the book of Acts is about Peter actually helping start the church from the ground up. So for Peter, this name change was a major transformation, right? From the moment he developed a relationship with Jesus, his life looked radically different. He dropped those nets, and the route that his, the path that he was on was totally not what he expected. Now, of course, there is a flip side. There's always a flip side to every story. Peter was first among the disciples not only because he was the most outspoken, he was the first to volunteer for things, he asked the most questions, but it was probably also because he failed the most frequently. He's often the first at falling on his face just as much as he is in leadership. He's often the biggest idiot just as much as he's the spokesman of the disciples. He directly challenged Jesus on more than one occasion, even when Jesus talked about his decision to die. So this is what Jesus, the interaction that Jesus and Peter have. And this is just a few, a few moments after Jesus declares, Peter, on you, I'm going to build my church. Here's the interaction that they have in, later on in Matthew chapter 16. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. This is right after Jesus says, Peter, on you I'm going to build my church. And then he says, Peter, you are a stumbling block to me. And Peter also says he's never going to deny Jesus. Never would he ever deny Jesus. And a few chapters later in Matthew 26, look at this interaction between Jesus and Peter. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And a few hours later, that's exactly what Peter does. He denies knowing Jesus three times. 
He didn't understand what Jesus meant when he said he was the Messiah. He didn't really understand anything that Jesus said while he was alive, before he died and rose again. So, yeah, the name change brought about some amazing changes for Peter. But it also was a little bit of what you might call a rough transition. Now, I still love Peter, even though, you know, I'm pointing out all of his shortcomings. One of the things I appreciate most about Peter is, even though it's what led to his biggest stumbles, he shows humanity in the fact that he wanted things to be how he wanted them to be. Isn't that one of our strongest human tendencies? I want it my way. I mean, the Backstreet Boys even wrote a song about it. I want it that way. If you don't, if you don't know that song, then you should talk to Boy because it's one of his favorite songs to sing. I know that he'll sing it for you. I appreciate the fact that Peter wanted things to look just like he expected them to look. Because that is how I feel most of the time. Even if my faith is going great, or if my faith is really struggling, my tendency is to say to God, Okay, God, I think things should look this way. I want you to show things to me this way. I want to hear you talk to me in this particular way. With Jesus and with following Jesus, it seemed Peter wanted someone to come in and kick butt and take names with no repercussions. He wanted Jesus to be an even stronger rock than he was. And Jesus talked about being a sacrificial lamb. How strong is that? Now, if you look at Peter throughout the Gospels, if you pay attention to him and the things that he says and his reactions, he hated any negativity or suffering or radical weakness that Jesus talked about. He refused to accept that Jesus was going to die. He refused to agree that he would deny Jesus. He only wanted a positive outcome. Now, Peter's optimism, his desire for positive outcomes, it actually gets in his way of being able to follow Jesus. Now, I like to read a lot of really random um, nonfiction books. And one that I reference all the time um, is called The Survivor's Club. And this book actually explores why, when there's a big event that happens, like a natural disaster or an explosion or a crash, all things being equal, um, like if you don't die in the initial event, how come some people survive and some people don't? Some people give up and some people don't. What is the key to being a survivor? Now, I ate this book up. I loved it. I reference it all the time. Becky's like, shut up about being a survivor. But... It changed the way I do a lot of things. There's this whole chapter about how many plane crashes are actually survivable. So it totally changed the way that I ride on planes. Now, whenever, as soon as I get on a plane, I count the number of roads to the exit road in case it's dark and I can't see, right, or the lights on the aisles don't work. I never wear flip-flops, ever. Don't wear flip-flops on a plane. Always wear tennis shoes. I always pay attention to the flight attendant. Um, the emergency speech, so it can minimize my reaction time. Serious, plane crashes are survival. A, a very large percentage of them are. Now, you might mock me, but I'm a survivor, okay? <laughs> Speaking of Beyonce. Um, 
Now, when I was thinking about Peter's rejection of anything negative, I was reminded of one thing about this book that really stuck with me. So the author asks Admiral James Stockdale, the highest-ranking prisoner of war in Vietnam, to explain which American prisoners perished in captivity, which American prisoners died as prisoners of war in Vietnam. And the admiral replied immediately, oh, that's easy, the optimists. That might be kind of surprising, but he explained that the optimists were the ones who said, oh, we're going to be out by Christmas. And then Christmas would come and go, and then the 4th of July would come and go, and then Christmas would come again, and they would essentially die of a broken heart. And he explained the lesson that he learned was you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can't ever afford to lose that. You always have to hold on hope that there will be victory with discipline to confront the most brutal facts of the reality that's right in front of you, whatever it might look like. Facing stark reality, but never giving up hope. Now, this probably stuck with me because I am not an optimist at all. Definitely more of a pessimist. I like to say I'm a realist, but when I read that, I was like, all right, if I'm a prisoner of war, I am set. I got that one covered. There are a lot of other places in the book where they talk about how optimism is important in survival, but it was reminding me of Peter because Jesus' message to the disciples was often about suffering. Suffering ahead but also holding on to hope, not pretending that the suffering isn't there. Facing stark reality, but holding on to hope. Whenever Peter failed miserably, he was unwilling to face reality. And the biggest reality he had to face is that he's fallible. He could fail. He couldn't face that everything wasn't going to turn out the way he wanted it to and that his strength wasn't going to be enough to sustain him or to change things. Peter represents for us the highest of faith, right? Emotion-filled, exuberant, excited faith. And he also represents the depths, the bottom of the pit of denial the things that are possible among those who follow Jesus. Peter often clearly preferred to follow Jesus on the foundation of his own dedication rather than on his relationship with Jesus. He failed to rest on the rock of Jesus. And instead, Peter put his faith in his own faith. Peter put his faith in his faith. When Peter took took on this new name, there were parts of him that he brought to his identity that didn't coincide with the vision that Jesus had of who Peter could be. The problem that came with this name change was most strikingly pride. Pride that expected the gospel and the way that God would carry out his saving of, the, of humanity would look like Peter wanted it to, would look positive and victorious and amazing. And that's what the gospel is. It is all those things, but only after suffering, radical weakness, humility. 
I think pride is one of the things for us as humans that gets most in our way when it comes to seeing the love and the forgiveness and the grace that Jesus has for us. Because in order for that love and grace and forgiveness to take hold in our lives, we have to move our expectations, our pride, ourselves out of the way completely. Now, I know you as college students, you more than anything are determined to do things on your own. You want to be self-reliant. You do not want to show weakness. You want to manage expectations of yourself and other people. You want to be in control. Then there's nothing wrong with those things. It's great and important and valuable for us to want to be strong in who we are. And pride isn't thinking too highly of yourself. Pride is thinking of yourself too frequently. So much so that you can't focus on anything else except your self-reliance. Except your determination to do things on your own. But the problem with that is that when, when you do fail, and you will, we all will inevitably fail flat on our face at some point in our lives. When we do fail, when we base everything on our own self-reliance, there's no foundation underneath us to catch us, to help us get back up, to give us strength that we need. Now, as an encouragement from Peter, I think a huge encouragement we can take is that the name change that he goes through and him becoming this new identity, taking on this new name of Christ It didn't happen instantaneously. Far from it. Becoming Peter, becoming the rock upon which Jesus built his church, took a little while. He didn't understand much of anything that Jesus said before Jesus died on the cross in the Gospels. But it was only over time, and with the work of the Holy Spirit, that what Jesus said and did started to really take hold and make a change in who Peter was. A big theological fancy word for this is sanctification. This is the process of us laying down ourselves, our pride, for the sake of God working in us, in our lives. His grace and his love transforming who we are. And not only transforming who we are, but also transforming our expectations for who God is as well. Faith isn't something that a decision I made a long time ago. Just something happened to me. I made this decision. Now I have faith. Faith is something I can tell, I can tell you from my own life. Faith is something that I have to make a decision for every single day. It is something I have to get up and surrender myself to God every day. Get myself out of the way so that God can be the one who's at work in me. So that God can change me into who God wants me to be. Who God created me to be. Peter lays down his pride. He lays down his expectations, his failures, and he rests his faith on the rock of Jesus. Not the rock of Peter. He is first among the disciples and... Honestly, he's someone that I would want to be like. And that's a bold statement for us as Christians to say. We want to be like the court jester of the Gospels. The guy in the Gospels who made himself look like an idiot more than anybody else. 
But when Peter admits his radical weakness and he admits his failure, he finally discovers the true victory he wanted the whole time. That Jesus' death and resurrection offers hope and grace and love in the face of the stark reality of our sinful pride. It's one of the great paradoxes of our faith, but one I think is embodied in the person of Peter, that when we are weak is when we discover real, true strength. He recognized that in order to become Peter, his name first needed to be brokenness, weakness. And through relying on his relationship with Jesus, his name becomes Peter, the rock, strong, forgiven, beloved. Now, Peter goes on to do amazing things in the rest of Acts in the New Testament. He, he stops questioning. He doesn't deny Jesus. He preaches and he heals and he helps start this church and shares this message of Jesus' death and resurrection that provides love and transformation and salvation to all people of all the world. And Peter eventually recognizes that it is not his faith that is the rock, but it is what his faith is built on that is the rock. He wrote some letters to some of these churches he helped start in Acts, and they're later on in the New Testament in First and Second Peter. And I want to read a few verses from First Peter. This is a huge transformation from what he was like in the Gospels. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because... God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Now we're going to take some time to do communion, but before we do that, I want to give you guys just some time of silence, some time to be quiet. And as we do that, I just want to present a couple of questions to you. The first one is, what name do you need to bring before God for him to change? Brokenness? Weakness? Victim? Prideful? And what has God changed your name to? God has changed your name to humble to blessed, to graceful, to love.